When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Hi, and thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm your host, Megan Gibson, and today we're going to round off our series on maternal mental health. I'll be talking with Dr. Kat today, who is a psychologist in private practice, and she was drawn to the perinatal mental health specialty after her own struggle with postpartum depression, anxiety, and OCD with her first child. She has a wealth of information on this topic, and I would love to point you in the direction of her podcast podcast called Mom and Mind, which focuses on perinatal mental health and wellness. She has so much great information to share, and I'm so pleased to have this episode be the last one for our maternal mental health. And if you'd like to continue learning more about perinatal mental health, I would love to direct you to her because she has so much to share. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Dr. Kat. Thank you so much for joining us on The Family Brain today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm very excited. So I started doing this series on maternal mental health because I was just curious to learn more about what was out there. I do, I covered all different types of topics, but it seems like this is your jam. You have been working in this space Mm -hmm. and really cover a lot. So you, I just want to point everyone in your direction if they need more of this to go go follow you because your mom and mind podcast is incredible and just has so much information. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm glad um, that it's a good resource for people. That was really my goal and aim um, because there's not a ton of podcasts out there that are primarily focused on perinatal mental health and all of the things that can happen during that period of time. Um, and uh, certainly people do cover the topic, um, but I wanted to just do a deep dive all the time and get into everything related to that. So I, I really do hope that for everyone out there who, who needs the support or needs to just understand what in the world is going on for them, that the podcast can be, um, a place to get that information and support. Yes. And I would have loved to have had something like this as I was expecting, you know, just to yeah. pre- mentally prepare. Here are some things that can happen. It might not be what happens to you, 
But I think that there was so much, and I'm a therapist also. So I think, I, well, I got it figured out. I'm fine. Right, um, right. So I was reading about, you know, how to get your child to sleep and what kind of, uh, what are those swaddlers you need? <laughs> but I wasn't reading anything about what would happen to me. Right. And not one thing. I don't think, I can't remember if there was, but um, and probably, so not. I just, <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Because I just, it, that's not what we're sold. We're, we're right. not sold that, that anything negative can happen. It's just pure bliss. Um, uh, yeah. Right. So it's just a really good resource for people who are wanting to sort of mentally prepare, but I wanted to know if you mm-hmm. could tell me a little bit about how, I know you're a therapist, um, as your occupation. And so yeah. you were a therapist before you were expecting kids yourself, but how did you yeah. end up getting into this space? specifically? Well, because I had a kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. Yeah, I was already a practicing psychologist in a major medical system and had been for several years. And um, I got pregnant and, you know, pregnancy was good um, and all that. Uh, but looking back on it now, I know that my anxiety started a little bit during pregnancy. And then after my daughter was born, um, pretty much right away it kind of, it it increased, um, significantly. Uh, but similar to what you were saying, um, I didn't get any preparation or information or training or anything, not in grad school, maybe some mention of it here as a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but really nothing in depth in any way. And, um, so I just like a lot of people, um, was suffering without knowing it. Um, I, you know, fell into a fairly deep depression and anxiety. Um, and I suffered with it for a long time before I knew that, uh, well, two things before I knew that I was actually dealing with depression and anxiety and OCD. Um, and before I accepted and was honest with myself that I was suffering. Um, so part of that thing, like you described that myth of, um, you know, everything's supposed to be blissful, Um, it was, it felt embarrassing and shameful to me that I didn't feel that way. I mean, I had moments of, of feeling okay and feeling good and connected and and happy and whatnot, but that wasn't the majority of my time. And then doubly, because I am a therapist, I figured, well, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to help other people get out of this stuff. So I should be able to get out of it myself. Um, which I think is a double bind and a big trap for us, um, helpers and healers, uh, that, you know, that, that feeling that somehow we are not also human yes, <laughs> or that we, we don't need the same kind of help and support that other people do. Um, uh, of course we all know deep down that we do, but asking for help and telling somebody that you're, you don't know what's going on and you're suffering and you're having weird, crazy thoughts, um, is embarrassing. Yeah. So it's, and I, I think you're right for a good year. It's embarrassing for most people, but I, I think you're right about yeah. helpers. It's like an accountant being like, oh, I bounced a check. Can you help me? I mean, it's not the same, but it's like, that's the feeling sure, of sure. somehow like with this profession, I should be able to just read an article and fix myself, you know, like take care yeah. of this, like put it in a move on. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the, the problem was, is that I didn't actually know what was going on. Part of thought that, um, okay, well, maybe this is just that hard. Maybe this is what it's supposed to feel like. Um, you know, and then another part of me felt like, oh, this doesn't feel good or right, or it just all feels bad, but I don't know what this is. And after about a year or so, 
the details are fuzzy now in my memory, but at some point I started to realize what was going on and be honest with myself. And once I did that and started reading up on it, I was shocked that this was a thing. Very specifically, the OCD and intrusive thoughts that I was experiencing, um, I felt so relieved just to see that, that what I was thinking and feeling was written in a book somewhere. Like, oh, other people deal with this. It's not just me and it's an actual thing and I'm not failing at this and so on and so forth. And then that pretty much ignited my passion to make sure that as many people as I can get to get the information that they deserve before they need it. So they don't have to be surprised in this horrible way right. uh, that this can happen. Yeah. Well, and I love what you talk about with the the different ways that it's sort of presented with some OCD and some anxiety. Mm-hmm. I feel like the picture I had was one of like someone in a dark room, hadn't showered for a long time and kind of barely had the blinds open, wasn't talking to anybody, wasn't, that was what I had as like, that's the bad thing that can happen it, right. to your mental health after having a baby. And so anything outside of that, I just thought, well, I guess this is just normal. This is just how I am, you know, but I knew nothing yeah. about postpartum anxiety. I did not know it was a thing at all. Right. Right. Like, no one talks it's, about it. People are, no, no. Um, I, you know, there are a lot of us who are trying to really talk a lot about it now mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, for those of us, you know, who are in the field and who've gone through it, oh, we know, we mm-hmm. know how real it is. Um, and so I'm so grateful that you're talking about it here. Uh, because really uh, people need this information for so many reasons. They need this information. Would you say that there's a certain type of person that ends up with this, or is this just a, um, not this specific, but with, with some sort of mental health complication, are there, are there things you can be aware of in advance? Think like I might be more likely to have some of these difficult experiences. Uh, Yeah, I'll answer that in two parts. Um, For one, uh, there's not really a specific person. It could happen to anybody. Um, It it doesn't really care um, what you know ethnicity you are, uh, what socioeconomic status you are, um, what neighborhood you live in. None of that. It it can affect anybody. Um, But within that, and I don't want that to sound too scary other than just to be aware that it could happen even without specific risk factors. However, um, the second part is that there are risk factors that make this more likely. So if you are anybody who has a history of depression or anxiety or other mental health issues um, in your own history, you're more likely to develop something in pregnancy or postpartum. Um, certainly if there's any history in your family of either just general mental health conditions or certainly um, any perinatal related mental health conditions, you are more likely. Uh, Also for people who have um, sensitivities to hormonal changes like PMS, PMDD, uh, where your body already is affected by hormonal change and you know that, then your chances also a little more likely because there are massive hormonal fluctuations during pregnancy and then immediately postpartum and then also with um, breast milk production and the ceasing of breast uh, breastfeeding if that's something that you're doing. So um, anytime there's a hormonal shift, even if you aren't specifically experiencing uh, perinatal 
uh, sorry, depression or anxiety or anything like that during pregnancy or postpartum. It could still happen with the cessation of breastfeeding. Um, there, so there are certain periods of time, transition, hormonal transitions, where you're uh, a little more susceptible. Uh, so given those like broader risk factors, um, if you're in a period of high stress, um, which we all are right now, yes. um, certainly you're at a higher risk. Um, and if there's, there's any other chronic stressors in your life, um, like uh, difficulties with a job or relationships or a home or any, anything that adds to increased instability um, can bring something like this on. Um, some of the factors that are a little less obvious are if you had early childhood trauma um, or t- trauma in your in your life, um, and certainly related anything related to um, parent-child attachment, um, that stuff often can go like lay dormant, so to speak, in your life if you've coped enough and you're getting through your life, and then you have, let's say, pregnancy or a child, and sometimes um, some of those issues that you thought you were kind of done with can pop back up. Um, and bring their own intensity that now you're dealing with along with having a newborn or a loss. Well, and I never realized what you were talking about with the hormonal shifts. Cause I just thought that was just normal. And I guess that's not, yeah. but maybe that's just part of, and that's, what's so tricky. I think is that because you're becoming a parent for the first time, usually, you know, usually when you're dealing with these things, it's hard to differentiate what is normal and what is not right. normal. Like what are there checklists or what, what do you recommend if somebody's like, I don't know if this is normal. And I guess my first thing would be like, okay, if yeah. you're questioning it, if it's normal, explore that, <laughs> follow that yeah, path, yeah. you know, like it, I heard somebody talking about like, if you, if you're wondering if you're washing your hands enough um, during this COVID-19, it, the answer is no, the answer is no. So just keep going, <laughs> keep going. So if somebody's questioning, is this normal? Is this, is this how it should be? Or where would you suggest they, they start? And if you're looking for primarily information, I think getting um, a good sense of what symptoms are and look like is, is a good place to start. So I always recommend postpartum support international. You have a ton of information, just symptoms, uh, that you can look through and kind of see if that fits for you or not. Um, symptoms of depression or anxiety or OCD or panic or PTSD or in the more serious cases of bipolar disorder or postpartum psychosis. So f- just having the information first, what are the symptoms? Um, PSI, Postpartum Support International, is a great resource for that. And they have a lot of other resources too, but I can get into that later. Um, so check out the symptoms first. Mm-hmm. Um, does this look like depression or anxiety? I think clinically speaking, the symptoms are the same as like a general depression or general anxiety. However, the context is very different. Um, and the, the way it presents can be very different um, uh, because you're either interacting with, you know, your changing body or a brand new baby or babies or the loss of a child. And, um, the context really does change how it impacts us. Mm -hmm. So, um, a lot of times I think this is where it gets really tricky is deciding what's normal and what's not, because like you were saying before, there's these prevailing myths out there around what motherhood is supposed to look like. So often I'm hearing that most people feel like they don't feel normal because they're not, you know, ecstatic all the time. Or, or whatever, they're having some sort of response to, um, to this period of time that isn't the prescribed one, the like a Hallmark card version of right. what we think it's supposed to be like. 
so I, I think a lot more people are having normal experiences, normal meaning common, um, than, than they would know just because, you know, thanks to social media now, um, we get all these fantastic pictures of, you know, posed motherhood and, mm-hmm. and, whatnot. and that can really contribute to feeling like, Oh, I don't feel like that lady looks so maybe <laughs> she doesn't feel that way normal. either. So it's okay. She doesn't feel that way either. <laughs> hey, truth bomb. Yeah. <laughs> she does not feel that way either. That is so true. Um, so it can be a little hard to gauge. Um, but the tipping point for me in terms of like, Oh, is this kind of part of the transition and adjustment, um, to being a new parent or is this a clinical, like has this risen to a level where it's impacting my functioning? You know, if you're not feeling like yourself, if you don't feel like you used to feel, if you feel like you're like dragging through the day or you're so antsy and and restless that you can't settle, um, those to me are tips that it's not just the kind of, you know, general transition stress, Right. that it might be something more clinical. Okay. It's hard to say what's normal and what's not normal. Everyone's circumstances are so different and, um, and it's hard to know. I don't know. I just was talking to this woman. Um, she wrote a book called All the Rage, and it's about. Have you heard of that? And it's like um, dis, uh, the myth of equal. It's called Mothers and Fathers: The Myth of Equal Partnership, and it's just uh-huh. so. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like that can create anxiety too. But maybe that's just yeah. part of what the world we're in. And is that pathological to feel anger because someone's not helping the way that you think it should I, I, I guess yeah. it just gets so complicated about what are the things that you can control and seek help right. on and what are things that are, are kind of a work in progress. I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's, oh, yeah, uh, to- totally. complicated. It is really complicated. Um, yeah, it's, it's super complicated. I mean, you, yeah, you're bringing up a whole other layer of this, which is the, the partner dynamic. Um, if there's a partner around and even family dynamic, it it just, there are so many layers of transition and change during this period of time. And certainly conflict with partners or even just, um, uh, trying to navigate through how each person parents differently in the partnership, you know, can be sort of, a shock to some people like, Oh, I didn't expect them to have this response to the baby or X, Y, or Z. Um, and then you're navigating how to be a partnership again or a couple again with, you know, this third, third, fourth or fifth person in the mix now. Right. Um, yeah, it, it does get really complicated. I, I, maybe because, um, you know, we're in the mental health field. I, the bias for me anyways, is that everyone could benefit from, <laughs> From therapy or even or even just like some support through the transition because this this is the like biggest typically anyways is the biggest change in your life you will have is to bring a, a person into the world and then be responsible for them um, yeah so you're not going to be excited about it all the time um, uh, but the the dynamics in the whole family system change if you're going from a couple to a, you know a couple with a child or even adding in more kids after that things change and it takes a long time to adjust so uh, my bias is that getting support through the transition is helpful even if you're not dealing with um like a clinical depression or anxiety yeah I love that. And what's interesting to me, I'll be curious to see if there's more offerings of online therapy. I know there are, you know, organizations that um, have businesses that do online therapy, but I love Mm -hmm. that more and more, I mean, 
that because of the quarantine, more and more people are doing their therapy online. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for a new mom is to get out the yeah. door to see someone. I did, uh, oh, yeah. I worked at an OBGYN office and uh, several people brought their children in and it was just, you could just tell the act of getting in that door caused yeah. them more distress. You know what I mean? And then totally. I, it, it's, yeah. it's almost like, okay, so we're going to sit here and talk about how horrible it was that you had to come to this office. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot. Um, so that might yeah. be a yeah. nice option yeah. too, for people is being able to access more resources online. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And from everything I've seen right now, especially during this period of time with the um, pandemic, um, a lot of people are moving to online and telehealth options, um, now offering groups online. And there are people who are already doing that in groups that are already on- online, but you know, people have had to act very quickly to make sure that they can still support people. Um, and so, yeah, right now, especially teletherapy is growing option for people. Yeah. And it's um, nice that, I mean, this technology was there already, but it's sort of, this is kind oh of pushed gosh, yeah. for it to happen in for more, sure. in more cases. Well, so what are some of the most surprising things you've heard from people in terms of their own experiences or things that, things that, I don't know, I guess it, you learned a lot from your own experience, but were there more other experiences in, in your podcast and what you're learning about what other people go through that you're like, wow, I never heard of that. Well, yeah, as I, as I started to learn, there were quite a few surprises. Um, and, and now I'm not really surprised anymore, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's in terms of what can happen during this period of time to learn. I, I think one of the biggest, the biggest lessons, the biggest learning for me was what happens around postpartum psychosis, uh, because it's a highly misunderstood and um, highly stigmatized, um, and it's it's a bit, it's a rare condition, but it's still frequent enough that it, um, and it's and it's an emergency. It's a psychological emergency, um, and the the more and more I learn about how poorly our mental health system is set up to support perinatal women, and um, how poorly our legal system, frankly, is set up mm. to support women who suffer from has very severe mental health conditions that result in um, uh, really bad outcomes, either either harm to themselves or to their children. Um, We're just not set up well to properly support them and understand what's going on. I think that's been the most, oh, the most extreme and the most upsetting Mm -hmm. um, is that these, these families and women are just left with hardly anything. So, I mean, I could, I could talk a lot about postpartum psychosis, but it it is, um, it is quite a topic and it's something that people fear and don't know what to do with when they hear about it. Um, and the women who suffer through it, um, are just so stigmatized. I mean, we already stigmatize mothers who are depressed and anxious, unfortunately. Um, you know, we, we stigmatize anyhow, so, moms who are like in pajamas past a certain time. There's like so much, you know, right. I mean, there's such, it's such so a true. high expectation of yeah. Yeah. performance, I think. Um, and I think a lot yeah. of, I mean, I, I don't know. And if you're younger too, I, well, I guess in age maybe doesn't matter how much you buy into what those expectations are. I just think back to myself, like I'm a different person now than when I first started having kids. And now oh, yeah. if you want to judge me for certain things, have at it. 
but when you're younger, <laughs> right. right? I mean, you're a little uh-huh. bit more vulnerable to mm-hmm. those expectations. You're doing it for the first time and you're, yeah, you know, you're getting a scorecard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and people, frankly, I, I don't think they take it super seriously that mothers suffer, mm. um, and, and suffer deeply, uh, for sometimes a long time. Uh, you were, you were all asking earlier about the things that have been most surprising to me. Um, is, is and again, this is a very serious topic. Um, uh, but the, the, the death from suicide for postpartum mm-hmm. moms is the second leading cause of death postpartum. Yeah. out of every medical condition. This is serious. That it's is- very serious in part because we don't take these conditions seriously enough. A lot of these um, women are overlooked and um, because they themselves think they are weak or that they're um, bad mothers or not good enough. Um, you know, the depression lies in such a way. And uh, so, so does every mental health condition sort of makes you, makes you feel like a horrible person. Yeah. And it's really hard to like get out of that, um, get out of that mindset um, because the depression itself is making you think it. So it seems real, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, similar to just kind of a general depression, but this is in relation to a baby and that makes it very different. Yeah. It makes it very different to feel responsible for another human. Yeah. Are, go ahead. Are you fam- familiar with it? There's an organization in Chicago and it's a woman who, um, her daughter committed suicide after a struggle with postpartum psychosis. It's like Melanie's something. Are you uh, familiar with that? Um, yeah, there's a the couple out there. Um, I, I need to follow up with that, but I guess she do, is working with um, legislation around this and does a lot yeah. of testifying to support people who are struggling with this. Just oh, to yes. help um, people Carol, understand. Carol Blocker. Um, Carol, Melanie yes. Blocker. Melanie. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, my friend worked with her when she was a teacher in Chicago. So she told me about the organization. Um, but it is, I mean, I think that I, I, again, I'm a therapist. I still struggle to understand what happens. I mean, is there anything that if you were going to give sort of like a one-on-one on what happens in the brain during psychosis, like, or, or does it happen? Like, I know, for example, some people talk about like, there's like a snap or something that happens when, or it feels like a snap. Like something just shifts all of a sudden, or are the experiences mm-hmm. varied? Um, the experiences are varied. Um, uh, so I'll give you kind of a general, uh, as brief overview as possible. So uh, postpartum psychosis happens to about one to two in a thousand uh, women after birth. Out of that one to two in a thousand, four uh, percent. Um, infanticide and 5% suicide. So very small numbers, but still emergencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the general idea of onset is that for a lot of people, it happens, it can happen very quickly postpartum. Um, within the first couple of weeks uh, is the, the bulk of onset. Mm. It doesn't always start that way. Um, there are some some different scenarios. Uh, sometimes it is a sort of a pure psychosis, meaning that there's no other um, underlying mental health condition, and it um, comes on. It, there's not enough research on what is happening in the brain and body to fully, you know, understand the why. Um, some of it is related to uh, sleep deprivation 
which anybody who's had a child knows that sleep deprivation and not having enough sleep really makes you feel nuts, uh, like you're losing your mind. Um, but for some people who have a higher sensitivity, the sleep deprivation is is sort of lethal in the sense that it 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 contributes um, to to the onset of psychotic symptoms, along with hormonal changes, um, and this is not true for everybody, but uh, some of a lot of the people who have gone on to infanticide um, have severe trauma histories uh, mm-hmm. from childhood. So well, we're like, that's part of what I'm screening for is, uh, is, is childhood trauma okay. when I'm meeting with anybody. Um, so some of th- those are some of like the kind of stoking factors that can bring it on. A sleep deprivation is a major, major, major component. Um, so you could have underlying uh, stuff and uh, getting sleep um, and, and fare better off. But certainly if you're, um, if you've, had a lack of sleep, you are in a high stress situation, you don't have a lot of help, um, the, the chances are sort of higher. Um, uh, even within that there's variation. Um, so what happens with psychosis is, uh, if there is an kind of an immediate onset, it can happen within days of birth. Um, people, uh, become delusional so their brain is telling them that something is happening that like the rest of us either can't see or can't hear or don't understand. Um, so for instance, there might be somebody, and it's often in relation to the baby. Um, this is where it's different than a, a regular psychosis where it could be like um, a, a delusion could be about any number of things, but here um, it's often related to the baby. So for some women, they might have a delusion that there's something wrong with their child or that um, their their child is possessed um, or that the world is too um, bad of a place for their child to be in. Um, and sometimes they become religious. It certainly depends on if you have religiosity in your life already. Um, it doesn't def- necessarily matter that way, but delusions, um, sometimes hallucinations are taking place and sort of telling these moms, um, to do things or that something's wrong with their child. Um, the, the challenge with postpartum psychosis is sometimes there can be, um, uh, well, what the current belief and understanding is, is that sometimes it's an undiagnosed bipolar disorder. Um, or it's a, a bipo- bipolar disorder showing up with psychosis. So that's what I meant by like a pure psychosis versus something that has an underlying condition connected to it. So certainly if like, if you ha- know that you have a bipolar condition, you're more likely to develop um, a psychosis in the postpartum. This is one of the risk factors to be really careful of, you know, have support around. So the, the challenge, um, sometimes the psychosis can start um, and it, it is just kind of there and it goes. But what happens often too is that there's a waxing and a waning of, of symptoms so they can be totally lucid and here and present and seem normal. And then a little bit later, sometimes minutes later, um, they can kind of be preoccupied and internal and um, having delusions. So um, what it can look like from the outside is somebody who's kind of like losing track of time, um, not paying attention to the child, 
you know, like maybe the kid is crying, but they're not hearing it. Mm. Like they're so internally preoccupied that they're not able to attend to the baby or that the baby is so overwhelming for them that they can't be around them. Um, again, if this, well, yeah, there's, there's another qualifier there, but I'm trying to be brief. No, um, it's hard. You have so, a lot of information. That's why it's, it's <laughs> um, but it, it's helpful. I mean, it's helpful to know what some of the things are to look for and what would you say families should do? Like, so if, mm-hmm. if, if someone's in this circumstance, it's probably unlikely that maybe they do know, but it would probably be on the part of the family to, yeah. to respond. What do you recommend to families if they're seeing something like this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if somebody is in a psychotic state, they don't, they might know that they are distressed, but they will not know that they are psychotic. Um, it's, it's literally a process where you're not in your own mind. Like you, um, like I've heard people say like it, why I can't believe she would do something like this. Like if some, some, a bad outcome has happened, well, it, she doesn't even know Mm. It, it sometimes, well, oftentimes when people come out of the psychosis, sometimes they'll remember um, a lot of details about what was happening for them during the psychosis, but sometimes they have zero memory. They are not connected. Mm-hmm. So um, people on the outside might notice strange behaviors and, and odd things. So if they are noticing that, again, I will plug Postpartum Support International as a resource. We have a postpartum psychosis coordinator that you could always call and ask them questions. Um, Like if you're noticing symptoms, you're not sure what to do, you can call them and ask. Um, That's a fantastic resource. But um, how- I will say I've been trying to add their their information on every show note for the episode, just because it seems like it's where a great place to start and, and oh, get so many resources. Yeah. So yeah, that'll be in the fantastic. show notes if anybody needs it. Oh, fantastic. Great. Um, yeah. So um, we view in the specialty anyways, we view this as an emergency. Um, like I said before, it's a small number of, of cases with the one to two and a thousand. And out of that, the four to 5% where it's very, very, very um, severe. Um, but given that it's still um, many women uh, who experience this don't have the the delusions and don't hurt their kids and don't end up in prison, like the majority don't. Um, however, um, it is still an emergency for many reasons if they're experiencing delusions. So this is where it gets tough for family members because they don't want to step on toes. They don't want their family member to, you know, the, the person that they love to think that they think something's wrong with them. Um, but it is imperative really to get, uh, to consult with somebody who knows what's going on and if necessary, um, you know, take them to see somebody right away. Um, if, if there's very clear and strange and odd behaviors, um, going to the um, emergency room, um, it, it is a hard choice to make. Uh, but if you are fearing their safety, if they're saying things that are scary to you and you're not sure that they will stay safe, um, take them to an emergency room. My, my like last line of defense is if, if nobody's uh, willing to go, um, and it's a very grave or dangerous situation is to, to have, um, call 911. Um, but unfortunately like our, you know, people aren't trained well in this, but if it's an emergency, it's an emergency. Right. Um, outside of that, really connect with a trained perinatal mental health professional, somebody who knows what this is and can, um, and can help get the person to the right kind of help. 
Well, I'm so thankful for people like you that are, I mean, it's interesting to me because I feel like anytime somebody becomes just an insane expert, I shouldn't say an expert in their field, it's because they've gone through something. And it's like, I love that you've used your experience to help so many other people because it just, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't think people would actually do that much digging unless they knew how hard it is. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, and I think we all ultimately kind of rely on people who've, who've been through it because, you know, the people who've been through it really, really get it. Um, and it's not that people who haven't been through it can't get it or don't get it, but, um, but I agree with you. For me specifically, I guess I'll just speak for myself. Yeah, I can't, I, I, I wouldn't be able to like not do this work anymore because I do know how hard Yeah. Well, and I think you give people hope, you know, they know you. Um, and, and I'm still pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I think sometimes it helps to be pissed off, right? Because it helps yeah. you keep yeah. the fight going. I, I remember talking to one of my doctors, a male doctor, and he was like, well, I understand. And I was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't understand. <laughs> right. And it's just, I mean, it's tough. He's doing what, what he knows, but it's, yeah. I appreciate when it's someone who really has been through it and it's, you give you give other people the hope that, okay, she got through it. I'm going to listen. I'm going to do what I need to do and I'll get through it. You know, it it might take some time, but there Mm -hmm. is hope out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to capitalize on your point there that, um, this is get throughable. Absolutely. Um, there, even though just right now we're talking about some of the more intense outcomes and the intense possibilities, um, the majority of cases aren't, are not that intense. Um, however, absolutely. If they are, please get help. Uh, but even if they're not, please get help because, um, this is treatable. It's one of the more treatable conditions. There are things that we know how to do right away that help people start to feel better right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a different kind of therapy because we are doing some problem solving right away. We are trying to figure out how to make sure you get sleep and those kinds of things. Um, and I've, I've seen so many people come through this and feel better and, um, just get back to their life, get back to what they want to feel like the parent that they want to feel like. And for me, I get so excited because I know that there's hope. I know people can feel better and I just get so excited and giddy when people finally start feeling better. It's just the best thing because it, it happens all the time. People get better. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you were hoping that we'd talk about that, um, that I didn't ask you about? Um, no, I mean, there's, there's always so much. There's so much. Um, certainly if people want to learn more, please do come listen to the mom and mind podcast. Um, we do cover quite a bit and I still haven't covered everything that, I, um, that's out there. But um, no, I just, yeah, I'm just hopeful that the people who are listening, um, please don't be like freaked out by this. Um, It's so many people deal with this. 20% of new moms are dealing with some kind of perinatal mental health condition. That's like one in five. Um, And so that's a lot of us and I'm one of them. And yes, I've got, I've gone through it and I got better and, and you can too. I just really want people to hold on to, to hope and also to know that they're not crazy and that they're not alone and with the right help, they can be well. 
Well, thank you so much. This was wonderful. There's one last question I usually ask people, and it almost feels like a weird question right now with um, (laughs) everything going on with the quarantine. But um, what is something that you do to sort of make sure your brain is, is feeling healthy? Are there any specific practices that you know kind of help keep you feeling grounded and feeling, feeling like you? Yeah, actually I'm having to rely on those a little bit more these days Um, um, because my normal like hiking is not something I can really do at the moment. Um, So I use an app called Insight Timer and I do guided meditations on that. It's free. So um, I just kind of pick one um, based on the amount of time that I want to do a guided meditation um, and I do that. And the guided meditations for me are better because it gives me something to um, to focus on if my brain is really scattered and all over the place. Um, it helps ground me quite a bit. Awesome. I'm going to check that out. That sounds, I've got time to try to learn something new. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Kat. I love talking to you and I love the work yeah. you're doing and I just thank am excited you. to be able to share all of your work as a resource for people. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I hope it's helpful. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Family Brain Podcast. Our next series is going to be coming out soon on coping with COVID-19. I'm going to be having some of my past guests and some new guests come on and discuss some of the things they're noticing within their own communities and their own experience as we all manage and adjust to living with COVID-19 right now. So I hope you tune in for that series and thanks so much for listening. Check us out online on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and if you feel so inclined, please leave a review or a rating for this podcast. It helps other people find the show. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.